0: Judges, chapter 10, verse 1. After Abimelech, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, became judge and began to deliver Israel. He was from Issachar and lived in Shamir on the hill country of Ephraim. Tola judged Israel 23 years, and when he died, he was buried in Shamir. After him came Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel for 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. They had 30... which are called Jair's villages to this day. When Jair died, he was buried in Caman. The then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshiped the Bels and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Aram, Sidon, and Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites and the Philistines. They abandoned Yahweh, Yahweh and did not worship Him. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and He sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites. They shattered and crushed the Israelites that year, and for 18 years they did the same to all the Israelites who were on the other side of the Jordan and in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. Israel was greatly oppressed, so they cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you. We have abandoned our God and worshipped the Baals. The Lord said to, Isra- to the Israelites, When the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidians, C- Sidonians, Amalekites, and the Mo- Moanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, did I not deliver you from their power? But you have abandoned me and worshipped other gods. Therefore, I will not deliver you again. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the, next, the, the, in the time of your oppression. But the Israelites said, We have sinned. Deal with us as you see fit. Only deliver us today. So they got rid of the foreign gods among them and worshipped the Lord. And he became weary of Israel's misery. The Ammonites were called together and they encamped in Gilead. So the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. Mizpah. The rulers of Gilead said to one another, which man will lead the fight against the Ammonites? He will be the leader of all the inhabitants, inhabitants of Gilead. In the beginning of this chapter, we're introduced real quick to two of the minor judges in the cycle of, uh, in the cycle of misery that we see throughout this book of Judges. Now, these two judges, not much is known about them besides the amount of time they served as judges and administrators in Israel and where they were from, and where they were buried. Also, the dates for these two judges are not known, but they were likely contemporaries on opposite sides of the Jordan River. The only other information we're given about Jair is that his 30 sons rode 30 donkeys and, per- and possessed 30 villages. And that was probably added in there to indicate the influence and the wealth they had during during that time. Now, beginning in verse 6, the account begins in typical fashion with the Israelites committing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And here, starting again in verse 6, is where we see their first regrettable mistake. Once again, like other times, they began to worship the Canaanite gods. The difference here is that now Their affections are also attached to the gods of the surrounding peoples, the people of Aram, Sidon, Moab, Ammon, and Philistia. And because of their sin, verse 7 says, So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and He sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites. That year, these foreign nations demolished Israel and continued to do so for the next 18 years. When the oppression became unbearable for them, Israel once again cried out to God and confessed their sin they had committed. The Lord replied to them, reminding them of all the times He delivered them in the past from their enemies and the sin, I'm sorry, and all that He had done for them. However, because the sin of the nation had increased so much, God Himself refused to save them from their enemies this time around. Now, also, Israel's situation, we see in in verse 15 that Israel's situation had become intolerable. And had become so intolerable that they came to a place, they finally came to a place of complete surrender, and decided to back their words of repentance with action. So what did they do? They got rid of their foreign gods among them and worshiped the Lord. Israel, at that particular time, in that moment, finally discovered that the worst of serving God is better than the best of serving idols. The last part of verse 16 states that God could no longer bear the misery of Israel. Meaning that he couldn't stand by and allow Israel to be oppressed. He couldn't take it anymore. He, was, he saw that the, Israel's enemies were doing to Israel and he just couldn't take it anymore. One Bible commentator wrote, the Hebrew word literally means impatient. It suggests God's restlessness in the presence of suffering. It is the restlessness of his love and is the cause of his anger and the governing principle in all his activities. In the last two verses of chapter 10, uh, it tells us how the Ammonites and the Gileadites Gileadites mustered for battle before Gilead had even chosen who their general, who their military commander was going to be. Now it isn't until the beginning of chapter 11 that someone is finally chosen to lead them. And we'll get to chapter 11 in just a minute. But this passage... Like, like many others we've seen before, shows us God's love, His mercy, compassion, and His grace. It also reveals that God will never abandon His own, even when we've abandoned Him. Now let me explain what I mean. Despite Israel's blatant idolatry, God chose to respond to them even after they cried out to him and confessed their sin. Proverbs 28:13 says, The one who conceals his sin, the one who hides their sin, will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Now some may read verses 14 and 15 and see no mercy at all. But the way I see it, God's silence would have been more ruthless and would have been more cruel. Had He not just, after they cried out in, in repentance and, ask, and saying, Lord, you know, we've sinned, I think it would have been more cruel of Him to just remain silent. His response, although somewhat harsh, was really an act of mercy. Although God rebuked Israel, they were the words they needed to hear to move them into action. And let me tell you, I can't tell you the number of times I was scolded as a kid by my parents that caused me to move, that caused me to change. And if you grew up in a Mexican home, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's or any kind of home. You know, what I'm talking when mom gets mad or dad gets mad and they yell at you. You know, you're you better better do something. You know, it's going to cause you to do, to do something. And I can't tell you and I also tell you actually. Even now when I mess up now, I'd rather be told what I did, I'd rather be scolded and be yelled at and to be given the silent treatment that for me is the worst is be given the silent treatment because i feel abandoned i feel it makes me feel like you know like i'm all alone i have no one to tell me like i've messed up you know but let me tell you if you find yourself at a place far from God because you've walked away from him all you have to do is turn around and see that he's been right there right behind you the whole entire time you know we think to ourselves and I know because I've been there I've walked away from God and man it's gonna take so long to get back to him I know he's waiting for me and and I might as well just continue on this journey of rebelliousness well no you've walked away he's, he's been waiting for you to turn around and when you do again you'll see that he's right there he hasn't abandoned you and all you got to do is just embrace him come to him fall on your knees and tell him how you feel tell him what's going on in your life however turning around requires you to recognize that you've messed up. First John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See because we have a merciful God he will hear you he will forgive you and yes he will minister to you. He will speak to you in his own way, but he'll never abandon you. Now, however, the Lord chooses to deal with you, though, it's important that you understand that it's for your benefit. Going back to Proverbs, it says in chapter 13, verse 1 a single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. God tells you what you need to hear so that you'll draw near to Him. What He may tell you may be different than what He tells another person in the same situation. But you see, He's dealing with you individually because He knows you and He knows how to speak to you and He knows what is going to cause serious change in your life and what you need to hear. But you have to keep your ears open. You have to be willing to take that medicine, whatever it may be. You know, uh, we tell you know, our kids that, yes, we may be, and we know this as adults too, yes, we may ask for forgiveness and we may repent of our sins and turn our lives around. But we s- there's still going to be consequences for our mistakes especially really big ones. You know, you kill somebody, You after the next day you repent and ask God for forgiveness, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go to jail for it. You know, you, there's still going to be consequences for it. But again, you know, it's, He'll deal with you the way He needs, you need to be dealt with, because He loves you and He cares about you. Now, chapter 10 also shows us that despite saying that Israel, despite saying that he wouldn't help Israel, by watching the mistreatment of his people and do nothing about it, he felt moved. He loved them so much that he felt moved to help them. Now, if you have a teenager like we do, or remember, when you were one, a teenager yourself, didn't you know what this is like? In their stubbornness, they purposely sometimes do the opposite of what you want them to do. And on many occasions, we find ourselves just saying, hey, you know, just letting, letting them do it. Knowing very well the mistake they're getting themselves into. We can tell them to we're blue in the face. Hey, this is going to happen if you don't do this, or if you keep going in this direction. And we know because many of us have been there. Yet, in their stubbornness, again, they're like, "Oh, it's not going to happen to me. I'm, I'm wiser than my parents. I'm smarter than them. You know, I know who I'm hanging out with, or I know what I'm doing." Hey, you know, again, all of us have been there. All of us have thought we knew better than our own parents. So. Yeah, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, you know, you want to do your thing, that's fine. You know, so we just let them, we let them be. It's not until we see that they can't handle it anymore that we jump in. They fall into a hole. They go in this direction. They fall into a hole, and all of a sudden, that hole is too deep they can't get out of and as parents we know that we love our kids too much to see them suffering to see them you know we'll we'll, we'll go as long as we can to let them see how deep that hole is for them to realize and understand that they can't get themselves out of it but there does come a point as parents because the love of the love we have for our children that we say, okay, that's I can't see them like that anymore. And we just want to jump in and help them because we know how to get out of that hole. We've been in that hole before. And so we show our children, this is how you get out. And that's what love is. And this is what we see the Lord doing here. Israel is kind of like that teenager who stubbornly didn't want to listen although God told them he wasn't going to help them it still grieved him to see the mess that they got themselves into until finally He got to the point where he had to do something about it. Well God saw the mess of, of the mess of all humani- that all humanity had gotten themselves into because of sin, because of disobedience. He saw that humanity was in a hole that it couldn't get itself, in, itself out of. So he finally decided to do something about it. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 5:6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, God intervened at the exact right moment. Listen to what Paul continues to say in verses 10 and 11. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more have we been reconciled? Will we be saved by His life? And not not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. You see, God could have abandoned us and left us in that hole and left us there to to die, to fend for ourselves, but He didn't because He loved us. He loved you, He loved me, enough to say, I can't see them in that condition anymore. So he stepped in out of his love and compassion for his greatest creation. And that's what we are, his greatest creation out of everything he created in this entire universe. We, as humans, males and females, we are his greatest creation. And He had that compassion for us, that He had to do something about it. God stepped in. And now it's up to us as individuals, as people, to know whether, I'm sorry, God stepped in, it's now up to you, to us, whether we'll step out. God sees your misery and wants to do something about it. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty, "Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in my heart. And I'm sorry, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy." and my burden is light so there the invitation has been giving has been given accepting it is now up to you he's saying he God came down and went into that hole and he's telling you he's telling you you can I can show you how to get out Take my hand, I'm going I'm to lift you out. And so now, it's up to us whether we will take his hand and be lifted out of that hole. But unfortunately, so many people say, no, I'll figure out my own way. I'll figure it out. I'll look to the world, I'll look to education, I'll look to science, I'll look to psychology. I'll figure it out, I'll figure out another way to get out of this hole. Because, you know what, Jesus? You know, You, I I don't trust You. And it's sad to see that. I've seen it in so many people's lives. But there does, eventually comes a point where so many people again realize nothing else, no one else has the answers. No guru, no other religion, no other prophet, no one but Jesus. And when we get to that point and we take His hand, oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious moment, because He does, He takes us out of that hole, and now we live in freedom. We come out of that hole and we see the world in a whole totally different way. Now before we take communion later on in, in, in a while, for any of you, if there's anybody here who's just never accepted Jesus into their heart, an opportunity will be given to do that. Or even if anyone's watching or listening, I will give you an opportunity as well. But before we do, I want us to take a look at the next 11 verses of chapter 11, since it's a continuation of the end of chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles open, let's continue with our reading. Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, verse 1. Jephthah. The Gileadite, the Gileadite was a great warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead, Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him, bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You will have no inheritance in our father's house because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some lawless men joined Jephthah and traveled with him. Sometime later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. When the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to him, Come be our commander and let us fight against the Ammonites. Jephthah replied, replied to the elders of Gilead, Didn't you hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why then have you come to me now? When you're in trouble, they answered Jephthah, Since that is true, we now turn to you. Come with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will become leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to them, If you are bringing me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me, I will be your leader. The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is our witness if we don't do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead. The people put him, over, put him over themselves as leader and commander. And Jephthah repeated all his terms in the presence of the Lord at Mitzvah. The beginning of chapter 11 kind of plays out like one of those movies that takes you back in time to give you some context or a better understanding of the current events happening. And as we go through it, you'll see that this is where Israel makes their next regrettable mistake. So now, okay, in order to clarify how Jephthah was chosen as Israel's military commander, the author gives us a brief summary, a brief background about his story. Now we're told that Jephthah is is first described as a Gileadite and a mighty warrior. Gilead is technically a geographic designation and it was first mentioned back in Genesis chapter 31 verse 48. But it's also used to describe someone from that particular tribe, clan, or family in that in that area. It would be as if um, my last name or my name was El Paso. You know, it just describes someone from that area. Now more than likely he was called a mighty warrior because of, his, because of his fighting ability. Now that was where he was gifted. He had a good affili- ability to, to not just fight, but just to plan and coordinate. So he, he became, he was known as a mighty warrior. The text also tells us that he was the illegitimate offspring of an affair between a man named Gilead and a prostitute. Due to this disgrace, Gilead's legitimate sons refused him any part of his father's inheritance and eventually drove him out to live as an outcast. As an outcast of his society, he gathered another group of outcasts, lawless men, and built for himself a small private army that traveled around with him wherever he went. Now when the Ammonites wanted to capitalize on Israel's weakness of of having any experienced battle, of not having any um, experienced battle commanders, the men of Gilead turned to Jephthah. You see up to this point he was the only one with any kind of significant force, and the way some people would describe it, this small force, this small little army, private army he had, was equivalent to just a a, a gang, just a city. They were the gangbangers of of Gilead, just, and he had them organized, and he had them trained, and he led these these men. It's at this point where the story picks up from the end of chapter 10. The elders or the leaders of Gilead go to Jephthah, go to Jephthah's hometown and initially ask him just to lead them in fighting against the Ammonites. Jephthah then confronts them for what they did to him and they they didn't want anything to do and then he confronts them about what they did to him and that they didn't want anything to do with him he then asks why then have you come to me now when you're in trouble you didn't want anything to do with me when you did this and that to me when you kicked me out of my hometown when you said I was gonna have no inheritance in my family and now you want my help why do you come to me now when you're in trouble Now realizing he was exactly what they were looking for in a military commander, the Gileadite leaders admit their mistake. They recognize their error. They regret their error and propose a better offer. They tell him, come fight with us, fight the Ammonites, and you will become the leader of all the inhabitants of gilead so now he's saying no not, we just don't want you to lead us now we want you to lead all the people of gilead jephthah responds by accepting their proposal to lead gilead after defeating the ammonites in battle Now to ensure the honesty of what they were proposing, the Gileadite elders make an oath and seal it with a more formal ceremony in mitzvah. When Jephthah repeated all these words of the negotiated settlement before the Lord, he was solemnizing the contract before God. From that moment, he joins the Gileadite army as their military commander And chief over the entire clan of Gilead now it's not hard to imagine in the world we live in today in the 21st century in 2017 almost 2018 it's not hard to imagine that Jephthah probably wouldn't have been born had his situation happened today you see more than likely he was the result of an unintended pregnancy. And in the US, most unplanned pregnancies end in abortion. I read that in a 2011 study by the Gut, Gut Ma- Mature Institute that, an average, that, that the average US rate of unintended pregnancy was 51 per 1,000 women ages 15 to 44 in 2006. And in another study, I read that over 92% of abortions are the result of unintended pregnancies, resulting in about 800,000 abortions a year. 800,000 abortions a year. Now, I came upon all kinds of research when it came to this, but as I was, I found numerous, numerous articles about people who were almost aborted, And are now living today as an inspiration to millions and millions of people. After reading some of these stories, my belief that the life of every unborn baby is precious and is valuable and it further solidified my stance that from the moment of conception all life valuable Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 says for it was you who created my inward parts you knit me together from my mother's womb I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made regardless of the circumstances of your birth or who your parents are, God had a plan for creating you. Many children are unplanned by their parents, but they are not unplanned by God. God decided to join that, those two cells to make a human being, to make a person. it was his by his power his glory his might that you were conceived your mom had you for nine months to carry you nurtured you in in there but again he even though you may have been anybody may have been told that you know, you were you were never supposed to be born and and you almost did that did this or that no we God had a plan for you. God has a plan for you. You were not unintended in His eyes. All of us, all of you are alive right now for uh, no other reason other than God still wants to use you to fulfill His greater plan and purpose. Don't allow the what could have or should have been of the past To overshadow the what-could-be of your future. Jephthah could have lived his life convinced that he was a mistake, convinced that he was worthless. His mom was a prostitute and his dad was probably a leader, a noble in Gilead, and that he was never meant to be, but he didn't. He was able to lead well because his confidence in life his confidence in himself and in others was infectious you see confident leaders will inspire their followers to go beyond what they think they're capable of and help them to achieve the impossible throughout the Gospels we see Jesus leading in this way as well He led by example, yes, but He challenged them. He challenged His disciples to go beyond their comfort levels, to go beyond their comfort zones. And He showed them what they're capable of, that they're capable to achieve the impossible. These first 11 verses are also a reminder on an important lesson I learned long ago. Those people who you openly or secretly consider as worthless, undesirable, and dispensable, God sees them as valuable, desirable, and useful. All of us, at one time or another, have had our biases, have had our prejudices, Have this maybe discriminated that God sees those people and we have maybe you know our own reason, our own minds we've justified why we've we we've behaved like that, maybe through experience or maybe you just don't like a person's lifestyle or don't like the way they you know they choose to to maybe who they voted for they maybe they're too poor, or they smell out in the streets and you know, they, they, had, they you know, have a certain odor. But Christians who have discriminatory and prejudicial attitudes are going against everything Jesus Christ said and taught. In fact, there's a whole section in James chapter 2 that speaks against these kinds of behaviors. I don't think a lot of people ever consider that the people they think are useless to them maybe one day, may, may one day turn out to be the ones you need the most. Having been born to a prostitute Jephthah was on the bottom rung of his family's and community social ladder. How humbling it must have been for the men of Gilead to realize they had, they had no one else to lead them and had to turn to the one guy that could the one guy that they kicked out the one guy that they found undesirable as Christians we have an obligation to treat everyone with the respect they are due Romans 13:7 says pay your obligations to everyone taxes to those you owe taxes tolls to those you owe tolls respect to those you owe respect and honor those who owe honor if you Have ever been the recipient of these kind of behaviors, if you've ever been treated with bias, prejudice, from Christians or from anybody, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been treated this way. But let me tell you, if anyone knows what it feels like to be discriminated, mistreated, racially insulted, and rejected by friends and family, it's Jesus Christ and because he knows and can relate to you he can also heal any pain that he may have caused you we may want to take vengeance we may want to take our anger out on those people that hurt us and do the same to them but we mustn't We must allow God to do whatever he's gonna do in that person's life He, it's, don't take vengeance, believe that to God to be your avenger. One day everyone's going to be held accountable for what they've said and what they've done. And one day they're going to be accountable for every sin they've committed. So now I ask you, will you be ready for that day? Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? If today was your last day on earth, would you be ready? Would you be ready to see him face to face? God sent his son to rescue you, to save you from the bondage of sin and give you eternal life. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. God has made his first move the question is, will you make the next by taking a step of faith and believing in His Son, Jesus Christ? If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and are ready to do that, then wherever you're at, where if you're listening or watching, pray this simple prayer in the quietness of your heart Lord Jesus I come before you and confess that I'm a sinner Jesus I believe that you died on the cross and that Almighty God raised you from the dead and I now ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior in the name of Jesus I pray Amen.